that night the city burnt, and the mother church of the city burnt with her. And yet the tower and the spire still stand, soaring to the sky, and I feel that's an emblem of the eternal majesty and love of God. Greetings. You are tuned into the Miserable Offenders podcast. Pull up a chair and join the conversation as we seek answers to life's big questions, drawing wisdom from the well of traditional Anglican theology. This is a production of the North American Anglican. Greetings and welcome back to the Miserable Offenders podcast. I know that's a presumptive introduction. It assumes you've already been listening to us. Um, if this is your first time, then welcome for the first time. I'm your host, Jesse Nigro, uh, one of your hosts at least. I am the editor-in-chief of the North American Anglican online Anglican Theological Journal. We're found at northamanglican.com. Also uh, on Twitter and Facebook and other such places, I too can be found on those places. Uh, good luck searching me out. Uh, today I'm joined by my two co-hosts, the Venerables, I like to call them. Let's start with uh, Andrew Brazier. Andrew? Hey, Andrew Brazier here. And I actually memorized my Twitter handle. You know, each time I kept stumbling, it's A Brazier Law <laughs> on Twitter. Um, I don't really post any hot takes. I retweet a lot. And uh, and people like to say they're not endorsements. I don't know why. You know, like, people don't do that on other social media. Uh, although I won't dare say that they are endorsements, <laughs> just in case. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I, I serve uh, as an archdeacon, as a chancellor in the jurisdiction of armed forces and chaplaincy. Uh, also pastor a church, Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Pelham, Alabama. I'm a fellow uh, visible offender. So Archdeacon Isaac, we'll kick it over to you. Well, all right. Well, uh, good to be back with you, gentlemen. Um, I'm Isaac Rayberg, the Archdeacon for Liturgy in the Anglican Diocese of the West and uh, the Rector of All Saints Anglican Church. And um, I'm on Twitter at fr underscore Isaac underscore r, at Father Isaac r. Um, and mostly I just do one-line responses to weird Anglican Twitter. That's my whole uh, thing there. Um, not sure it's worth your time, but it might be. So we'll see. Nice. Yeah, my sort of Twitter presence is at this point mostly composed of things that occur to me in the wee hours of the night while I'm like, you know, feeding a baby who won't sleep. So it can be a little disturbing, I'll warn you. Um, <laughs> but hopefully nothing too miserable or offensive out there. Um, speaking of our podcast, uh, we've got quite the show for you today. If you're uh, aware of the Anglican world, worldwide Anglicanism, then you might know that uh, we've had some recent e events in the, in the newspapers uh, surrounding the Lambeth Conference. Um, gentlemen, if I was a Presbyterian or a Baptist or maybe something else, e even weirder, um, <laughs> and I, and I didn't know what the Lambeth conference was. Uh, how would you explain that to me? Well, I describe it as the, um, theoretically every 10 year, uh, gathering of the bishops in the Anglican communion, um, invited by the Archbishop of Canterbury to Lambeth, uh, the Lambeth palace. 
And um, it's it's kind of it had its uh, roots in the 19th century, um, almost as a, as an attempt at conciliarism within what was becoming the Anglican communion. Um, unfortunately they weren't able to get that far and never have. So, um, it's mostly just a conference at this point, uh, rather than an actual gathering of our bishops and council. Right. Yeah. It seems that, um, hmm. The uh, what the actual gathering is and what kind of authority might exist by it is, in fact, one of the live questions that we're here to debate today and um, has been a, a big issue for the Anglican Communion, the GAFCON movement, the Anglican Church in North America, and so on. Isn't that right, Andrew? Yeah, it really has been quite uh, controversial even to gather together for, I guess, the past 20 years, you could say. And it really kind of stems out of the um, the evolution and the walking away from uh, beginning with one province and then kind of spreading the infection to several other provinces of the Anglican Communion, uh, mostly but not solely in terms of um, same-sex marriage, ordination of um, practicing homosexual uh, bishops, and really, really tearing the fabric of the communion that, as the uh, Global South uh, bishops have put it, really goes back to the root of the authority of scriptures and whether or not we uphold our formularies as Anglicans in rooting our faith upon the scriptures. So it's led to, as you all know, but other listeners may not know, to uh, trouble in trying to even gather uh, a Lambeth conference because many bishops from many provinces have uh, refused to attend because of a, a lack of ecclesial discipline. And the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Archbishop Wilby, has kind of, you know, um, wrung his hands and said, I can't do anything as the Archbishop, uh, which is in part true. He doesn't have authority to come down and, and discipline other bishops and other provinces. It's outside his jurisdiction, but he has the power of the invite and he has not refused uh, extending the invitation for a Lambeth conference and other uh, gatherings and meetings uh, to uh, bishops who are uh, in defiance of uh, the Anglican formularies. And frankly, uh, and really what's most cited is Lambeth 110, uh, which is Roman numeral I, Roman numeral 1.10, which comes from the 1998 Lambeth conference, which outlines uh, the Anglican position rooted in the scriptures on uh, homosexuality and marriage. So long story short, we've had this recent conference and, uh, you know, nothing of, of much importance uh, really happened. You know, really not much to discuss. I kid. Yeah, there, there's a ton to discuss because at this Lambeth conference, you had three of the biggest provinces uh, refuse to attend. Uh, the Anglican Church of North America, uh, which was not in attendance as well, um, but was in support of those Anglican provinces who chose not to attend because of the lack of discipline. And quite frankly, I think they're tired of, of, of talk and ready for action. But that being said, there were Orthodox bishops and Orthodox representation there at uh, Lambeth 2022. And instead of doing the typical routine of having resolutions, which is what Lambeth 1.10 is, a resolution, the Archbishop decided, Archbishop Wilby, I should say, decided to do calls, which don't really know what's the difference between a call and a resolution, except that it was redefined as this call, which looks akin, similar to a resolution, 
is not really speaking on behalf of uh, the bishops uh, that are gathered there. Each bishop uh, would register uh, their support, uh, their lack of support for a call, uh, or the fact that they're not really commenting one way or the other. So instead of it having any sort of you know, representation of what the Anglican Communion gathered together represents, it was more of here are the opinions of some of the bishops, not all the bishops, in the end. Uh, which leads us to, you know, really some of the controversies that happened at Lambeth uh, 2022. Uh, namely, there is an attempt to do a call from the, uh, the Orthodox bishops reaffirming Lambeth uh, 1.10 uh, as uh, the statement of the Anglican Communion, as the position of the Anglican Communion on uh, same-sex uh, marriage versus traditional marriage, uh, traditional uh, sexuality versus the new sexual ethics uh, that has become pervasive in the West. And, uh, and that call was essentially uh, changed, watered down, you know, things moved about constantly, and it led to a lot of frustration to where the Global South bishops um, essentially set up their own resolution and said, you can come here, you can vote on our resolution independently from the process, which has really led to a lot of, of concern from Global South bishops that they weren't able to get their voices heard has led to GAFCON weighing in as well, which GAFCON is separate from Global South, although there's some overlap between membership of provinces. And it's a long-winded way for me to get to um, the chairman's letter, which is Chairman Foley Beach of GAFCON, who is also the Archbishop of the Anglican Church of North America. And so he's got a letter that came out on August 9th after the Lambeth, uh, Lambeth Conference. So we'll kind of kick it over to that and kind of just ask for you know, gentlemen, what your initial thoughts are after reading through the, the chairman's letter about the recent Lambeth conference? Well, I, I was wondering if um, you know, may, maybe Isaac, you could sort of chime in here. Um, some of our listeners might be wondering, what is GAFCON? What is Global South? Um, or maybe they've actually are familiar with those terms, but they always kind of thought they were the same thing. Um, how do we distinguish those two as sort of major actors in the Anglican Communion as well as um, this incident, this story in particular? Yes, so uh, GAFCON stands for the Global Anglican Futures Conference, although um, they've, they've tried to rename it several times because it's not just a conference anymore. Um, and for whatever reason, just it, it never it never worked. The rebranding never never took off. <laughs> that happens sometimes. So, um, but yeah, Gaf, GAFCON um, originally uh, was formed in 2008, um, kind of at the at the, the same time the last previous Lambeth conference was going on, and uh, GAFCON was was a gathering of of the Orthodox provinces, largely led by their primates. Um, originally in Jerusalem, although it's it's moved around uh, for, for the they, there have been three conferences at this point, um, and out of the first GAFCON came the formation of the Anglican Church of North America. That was one of the things that they they decided to do was um, support the formation of an alternative province because of the way that so much of the Episcopal Church, especially in the leadership, had departed from the faith. Uh, regarding human sexuality and other issues. Um, GAFCON is very much primate-led when it's not actually in its once-every-so-often conference. Um, and, and so the, uh, the, the, the primates 
will work together. They'll elect a chairman. The current chairman, as as Andrew said, is um, Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church in North America. Now, the um, GSFA is the Global South Fellowship uh, of Anglican Churches. Um, I, I believe that's that's what it stands for. And um, the uh, GSFA is less primate focused as far as I understand, and it's more kind of province focused. So it's a, it's a coalition of provinces who are, um, originally it was all from the global south, but there's, there's more provinces in it um, now. And um, the way that the, uh, the uh, steering committee the, the, uh, of, the, of the GSFA described it in some of the interviews I was listening to during the Lambeth Conference was that um, GAFCON is more of a mission movement, whereas GSFA is more of the institutional um, glue. So um, lots of overlap, as you all said. Um, most of GAFCON is part of GSFA and vice versa, but not all of it. And uh, so th there's kind of approaching things from two different works. GSFA is really within those Anglican communion structures, whereas GAFCON is something separate to push mission evangelism, church planting, and that sort of thing. Right. And is the ACNA part of GSFA? I believe so. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it is. They, they are, yeah. And Archbishop Foley wears so many hats. I think he's the treasurer of uh, GFSA, of, of the Global South. Um, ah, got the treasurer got job. That's eh, not so bad. <laughs> got to be something. Um, <laughs> great. Well, that that's helpful. Um and, and just to throw even a little more context on this, I recall uh, the last Lambeth conference, which would have been um, Archbishop Welby's first time hosting the gathering. Uh, this was sort of seen as a, a testing, a trial period for Welby by many of the Orthodox, because I, I think many, many of us just didn't really know what his character was. He was supposed to be this sort of conservative, evangelical um, churchman. You know, uh, he came out of the business sector, which could be good or bad, I guess. Um, kind of the opposite of Rowan Williams, who had been sort of a, a high churchman and an academic, really, and still is an academic. Um, so... You know, I think many people thought, well, here's, you know, he's not going to be an egghead. He's going to be a guy who can get things done, you know. Um, and what happened last time is that real resolutions, and maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, were actually established to censure the Episcopal Church for its actions and then those were like immediately withdrawn. Is that is that quite right? Or because I, I do re recall this press conference where a lot of people were angry and there was a, a lot of backpedaling from Archbishop Welby. <laughs> yeah, the, the censure was actually yeah. at a primates meeting, not not at because the previous Lambeth was 2008. Okay, um, so, yes. Yeah. So I'm thinking of the primates. Which is meeting. so easy to get confused, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they're, they're, both meetings, they're both all the bishops. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, yeah. Um, 
not exactly the same thing, but it, it's an important part of the history, though. Yeah, it really um, served, you know, kind of talking about Archbishop Welby and his uh, perceived leadership versus his actual leadership, or lack thereof. Um, like you mentioned, Jesse, like there's that primates meeting, and the majority of them called on uh, the Episcopal Church to not be officially representing, like, the Anglican Communion in discussions and talks, and his memory serves, like, within, like, a year, maybe less, the Episcopal Church is representing the Anglican Communion uh, in some sort of function. And so it was really just proving that even when you have a, you know, the the vast majority of bishops saying, okay, look, we're, we're going to have to do something around here uh, to show that there's some level of, of ecclesial discipline. It doesn't stick. It doesn't hold. And, um, and the archbishop kind of backtracks, like you said, quite immediately after that conference, almost apologizing for what had been done uh, by the primates at their meeting. Which has been very much his, um, the, the way he's operated in all of the controversies. It's speaking out of both sides of the mouth, trying to uh, make everybody happy, and in the meantime, making nobody happy. Um, very much, I mean, with, with, with all due respect to, to, to um, a bishop of the church, <laughs> very much being a man pleaser, not a God pleaser. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah. and then, of course, Michael Curry... Uh, gave the homily at a royal wedding um, not too long after that meeting, I believe. And, and of course, all of your sort of non-Anglican, you know, people were like, oh, that was such a nice, loving sermon. And I'm like, you just don't know the history here, guys. Um, that and then um, just from following friends in the UK, um, Justin Welby has really just sort of, to me, I don't know if he's really talking out of both sides of his mouth anymore. Um, he seems to be, as far as I can tell, uh, fully endorsing any and every uh, left-wing political or theological point, um, to at, at least within the safe range of not getting the conservatives so angry that they're ready to, you know bash his door down but golly I, I sometimes wonder what that would even take within the church of england pr proper yeah the the constant thing is well we're not changing the prayer book we're not changing the canons and yet effectively they're they're by by not enforcing them they are changing them i mean yeah you know so hey we didn't change anything the marriage canons still say what they say yeah but you're allowing it to happen Happened on the ground, yeah. It, the practice of it is happening, and and I'll be honest, I haven't tracked, you know, what's happened in Church of England as much since it's, you know, literally a different jurisdiction and and not not my problem to, to deal with, thank God. But uh, but in terms of like what is his niche in the Anglican Communion as the the Archbishop of Canterbury, it seems like the niche he's found is like, oh, there's just nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to wring my hands. But once again, it's really showing the same uh, kind of duplicity that y'all were mentioning on the ground in, in England. That he'll say that, and it's like, do you have the ability to invite or not invite? You have the ability not to appoint um, provinces that are under, you know, not really discipline, but at least under a form of censure. And instead, you, you see, you know, the Episcopal Church representing the Anglican Communion so quickly after that uh, primates gathering back in, in 2016. I can't believe it was that long. Um, and then I was curious because I forgot that uh, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Michael Curry, had delivered the sermon at uh, Prince Harry's and um, and uh, oh, what's 
his wife's name. It's Megan something. Hey, Megan Markle. That's it. There you go. <laughs> All I know is like they're no longer royals, you know. So uh, over here in in the states. Uh, but all that being said, you know, there's been very much a lack of actually sticking to the word uh, that he's given. Although I guess he didn't really make that promise. It was really forced upon him by the primates. But nevertheless, a lack of leadership, a failure of leadership, which really has been called out uh, in the GAFCON letter uh, from Chairman Foley Bishop, the uh, Archbishop for ACNA, and also in a, a large document that was published there at Lambeth, or shortly thereafter, from the, the Global South bishops who uh, had attended as well. Which is, of course, a perfect segue into said chairman's letter, um, which I think we all have pulled up here is, and what we can include this in the show notes, is dated August 9th, 2022. Chairman's letter. Um, should we just go through this kind of passage by passage? Yeah, I think that would be a wise way of doing it. And I'll kind of take the first uh, paragraph there and pause and, and kind of give commentary on, on it there. So right. Archbishop uh, Foley starts off with, Dear brothers and sisters in the Gafcon family, grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior and only Lord. And then he quotes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, which is, of course, Romans 1.16. And I'll just stop there to say an excellent way to, to start off any letter, much less yeah. the content of this one. I'm writing to you regarding last week's Lambeth Conference, as this is on the minds of many Anglicans around the world. Over the last couple of decades, Lambeth Conference organizers and events like these have routinely mixed heresy and orthodoxy, treating both positions as equally valid. The clear teaching of Scripture is treated as one of many valid opinions with no accountability for those provinces who depart from the Bible. I wish I could be writing to you and sharing that the recent Lambeth Conference was difficult, but it was not. Before the Lambeth Conference, Archbishop Henry from Nigeria, Archbishop Stephen from Uganda, and Archbishop Lawrence from Rwanda wrote to the Archbishop of Canterbury that they were not attending the conference, quote, because the Anglican Communion has failed to address with remorse and repentance the issues that necessitated their absence at the 2008 Lambeth Conference, end quote. Retired Archbishop Hanonir Anis eloquently named the problem, quote, the Anglican Communion cannot deal with the brokenness of the world if she herself is broken, end quote. And that's the end of the, the first paragraph there. So uh, what a powerful and strong way to come out and really just name the problem and name the elephant that's been in the room um, for so long now. Uh, I'll kick it over. Isaac, what are kind of your thoughts on hearing this initial paragraph? Yeah, it's it's a wonderful summary. Um, he he's not he's not playing politics here. He's he's just telling it like it is, and 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 it, that's exactly right. You know, back in two thousand and eight, there was a huge a huge number of the uh, um, global south folks didn't didn't attend. Um, among which were yeah, Archbishop Ndokoba from Nigeria, uh, Kazima from Uganda, and Mbanda from Rwanda. Actually, they weren't not all of them were archbishops at the time, but their provinces did not attend. Um, and nothing's changed, you know, uh, what, what is this? Not, um, uh, 14 years later, you know, nothing's changed and, um, yeah, we, we need to clean house in the Anglican communion. Um, but those with the power and the money are unwilling to do so. Yeah. Um, I think it's, 
First of all, I love how Andrew, you caught the first names, and then Isaac, you caught the last names. If if these bishops have middle names that we're aware of, I'd be happy to. Yeah, <laughs> to, refer to, the, that out. to them. By or Deacon Isaac taking that because I purposely, if you read this letter, you're like, Andrew just read the first names because I can barely speak English, much less I don't want to butcher the good archbishops' names. So. <laughs> I got to practice so much when uh, when he became primate in Nigeria because <laughs> oh, was, I'm sure he, he yeah. was going to be um, uh, coming in on our Zoom conference for synod one year, and I was like. I have to get his name right. <laughs> Absolutely. <Good for> you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, I, I, I'll i just do my best here, but uh, I do think this was, again, I agree, a strong statement. And it's it's just great to see that in this situation, which I think we, we could all define as basically we have the problem in Anglicanism and maybe the problem in just modernity or so many sort of institutions in our world right now is a failure of leadership. You know, it's, it's not that we don't know what's right or what's wrong. It's that someone has assumed a position of authority who's supposed to be enforcing what's right and wrong, and they're not doing it. Right. And it's wonderful to see these great leaders step up and say, hey, guy, guy who's supposed to do stuff you haven't and we didn't forget right and to have that memory uh collectively uh <laughs> brought back to the fore when it needs to be um you know thank god for gafcon because uh, this is the kind of action and um response that needs to be taking place across the board whether you're um, in the Lutheran world or you're dealing with liberal bishops in the Catholic Church or what have you, um, the Orthodox need to continue to speak and to point at the truth, um, which is not as ambiguous as the sort of uh, secularized leadership in many cases would like you to believe. And I think he he says exactly the right thing. Um the truth is treated as one of many valid options, right? No, and that is, like, yeah, yeah. And this is, and this is just, you know, uh, typical of sort of a secular world, where um, in the public square you can have your truth, we can have our truth, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the church isn't supposed to behave that way, right? And um, so I think he said all the right things. He summarized like here's a short history lesson in case you haven't been paying attention um and gets at it so i i thought it was great you know i have to comment real quick on like the fact that i like that he roots it in the scriptures and that it's not one of many valid options and that's really been the problem of like not only the archbishop but throughout the communion is it's multiple provinces who are actually causing this late unpleasantness of denying the truth in the scripture and i'll make a quick plug there was a, a great episode from the uh, american anglican council where it was um ken and phil ashy interview some of the global south bishops there at lambeth and i make this plug i mean i think people should listen to it because their responses to those who are attending there is that they're a little bit fed up i don't want to put words in their mouth listen to it yourself but some of them were fed up at being told that you know, now we're being told that, you know, we're reading the scripture and like, oh, that's just one interpretation of scripture. 
and it's quite black and white in terms of human sexuality in scripture you know what is it that god has ordained and how has man deviated from that um not just homosexuality uh versus heterosexuality but even heterosexual uh sins you know like sins that, that cut across sexuality and, and how uh there's a number of sins that when it's outside the covenant of marriage outside of a man and a woman it's viewed as sin and they were quite frustrated as, as you can imagine um i can't imagine being there and being told uh, like they were told that like oh you just have an invalid interpretation uh, of scripture and uh quite eloquently they pointed out it's not an interpretation it's, it's in black and white uh in terms of, of what we are, uh, are called to believe and how we are called uh, to live in this world and in this society it's the same con game from from the garden right you know did god really say um yeah you know and anytime anytime that gets brought up notice the assumptive language the very question implies god didn't say it or didn't mean it or you know or or whatever it, it's it's such a con game yeah it is it's not it's a problem like you said jesse it's not a failure to communicate and it's certainly not a failure to listen it's a failure of leadership and it's a failure of authority and to a certain extent a failure of submission by being a servant leader you know we're submitting ourselves to the holy scripture to the word of god and therefore leading from you know what our master has taught us and what our master has said to us and instead of being unfaithful servants and making and remaking the word of god to our own fitting or sometimes just outright denying the word of god yeah um i i think Boy, and again, this is this is just such a, a modern problem. It, it, to some extent, it was invited in the front door probably about 100 years ago um, mm -hmm. when theologians were more or less uh, trying to be nice. The Orthodox were being nice and saying, well, let's see what these liberal interpretations uh, will do. And we don't want to be seen as against research or against science or logic and and whatnot, and um, again, you find the truth, you find orthodoxy sort of sidelined as a, a pious opinion, which is basically what, you know, uh, Archbishop Beach says that we've been told once again. And uh, that's, that's no way for the church to operate. That is not wise, that's not wisdom, it's prudential. It's not um, a prophetic, uh, you know, calling of the Holy Spirit for the body of Christ. You, you can't speak truth to a culture when you can't even speak truth to your brother and sister ministers, right? So, yep. I mean, it's just, it's so obviously a, a terrible way to operate from my perspective that um, it, it, one even just, I'd love to just take a walk in Foley Beach's, or, or sorry, Justin Welby's head one day and be like, what are the priorities here? Because I really am curious um, you know, I guess the priority has, for many is unity without truth, I suppose, is, is what we keep hearing. But um, yeah, that's been that's very much been the um, refrain in, in a lot of the analysis um, has been that Justin Welby sees his job is to keep the band together, even though it's not together. And and to do that, he he has to paper over the fault the uh, the fault lines rather than actually try to bring real healing right absolutely yeah and and of course <laughs> anyone with half a brain knows well well who 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 are you not going to be unified with then 
for goodness sakes, you know, uh, let's just go find some Nazis or whatever, you know, what, what ideology cannot be shoehorned into, uh, keeping the band together is more important than objective truth. Right. Um, it's hard to think of, you know, basically just becomes what are your sensibilities at that point? Oh, but before we go on to this next paragraph, which I think we should, um, I wanted to ask, because this is what you hear a lot when these issues come up, uh, are conservative Christians, Anglicans included, just obsessed with sex? Is that is that a problem? Because you could hear this and say, yeah. well, gee, if you guys would just uh, get over just it, you know, stop being such prudes, right? But it goes back to, like you said, a hundred years ago of like the authority of scriptures. And I have to say that the Global South, we could plug this in the show notes too, potentially. Like the Global South statement is like 18 pages long, but it really gets to the root of that matter of saying that this is not like just about sex. This is the issue that has come about. And really, they don't say this. But but yeah, the presenting not. issue. Yeah, exactly. It's the presenting issue that goes to the fundamental issue of the authority of scriptures and I've heard that, you know, thrown at me as well. It's like, you know, why are you just so obsessed with sex? It's the like, who's the one that wants to be, you know, being yeah. so permissive about all the sex? Like, yeah. You know, we're, we're not the ones talking about it all the time. <laughs> right. It's it's like someone runs into your house and uh, comes running out with all your jewelry and you say stop. And they're like, why are you so obsessed with jewelry? Yeah. Right. It's like, wait, wait, <laughs> we had order. You destroyed that order in favor of X issue, uh-huh. and because we object, we're obsessive. Apparently, no, that's you can't do play that game. And and really, like for for us in the West, you know, like it's been, you know, you can go back to like the sexual revolution. You can go back further than that, uh, and really, uh, even past a hundred years to where there's the erosion of the authority of scriptures. To just where you see that there's this, you know, continual uh, birth and renewal, and um, and really kind of changing of what does it mean to say that you even believe in God, and really seeing so much deism come into uh, a lot of not just Anglicanism but a lot of Protestantism uh, in general, and trying to quote keep the band together. In, in Anglicanism, we call it uh, latitudinarianism, you know, not to throw everyone under the bus uh, who fits under that description. But a big part of that movement was trying to, you know, expand the latitude to make such a big tent that you end up going outside of the boundaries of the formulary there. If you go outside of the fence, you're no longer on the farm. I'm sorry. It's just the way it works. Yep. Yep. No more uh, family to keep together, right? Well, yeah, well, should I uh, read this next paragraph and uh, we can yeah. pause for as long as we want or we can jump into the next one, too? Um, sadly, rather than being a source of healing and unity, the Lambeth Conference compounded the problems. The Lambeth Conference was filled with confusion. And what that means for global Anglicanism has just begun to be felt. The Canterbury Communion is broken, not just metaphorically, but literally as those in attendance could not in good conscience all share Holy Communion. The primates of Brazil, Kenya, Myanmar, Nigeria, North America, Rwanda, and Uganda, and many bishops from all over the Anglican Communion in the GAFCON movement did not attend the Lambeth Conference because to do so would violate their consciences. However, we respected the decisions of our brother primates 
whose consciences led them to go to Lambeth and contend for the gospel and the Holy Scriptures. The power of their presence magnified the power of our absence. Uh, Isaac, what do you what do you think about that last statement there? Yeah, I, I think that's that's important. Um, you know, I, I don't think that um, the folks that did go were doing the wrong thing, nor do I think the folks that stayed were doing the wrong thing. It was it was two approaches to address the problem. And, and I know that all, all the primates kind of talked about this, like nobody was surprised by what happened. Um, I, I do, I do want to point out that when, when he said here, the primates of Brazil um, and North America, uh, bo both of those are alternative prime uh, provinces um, because the, yeah, the, the, of course the Episcopal church and Anglican church of Canada and North America were there as was the, uh, was it the Episcopal church of Brazil? Is that, was that its official title? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But the, um, but, but the uh, GAFCON has set up, alternative provinces because of the apostasy of those two um, communion provinces. Right. And so, of course, those were the GAFCON provinces of North America and so on. Um, yeah, I, I know on this issue uh, within sort of um, our circle of online friends, there are some who are pretty strongly opposed to showing up to these meetings um, and they think that there's even, you know, biblical reasons not to uh, have fellowship of any sort with um, open heretics. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm charitable in the sense that, well, two things. I mean, to show my cards, like I wouldn't have gone if an invitation had been, you know, extended to me, you know, because of many of those reasons of not, you know, communing with those who are, you know, an outright, not just disagreement with scripture, but actually promoting something contrary to the gospel. But I'm charitable that those who did attend, I could understand that, um, that number one, I'm not a bishop, but if I was a bishop and hadn't had the opportunity to address and to publicly, you know, reprimand and rebuke and call to repentance, that it may weigh on my conscience that I should take this opportunity to lay out what is the truth. And then after that, maybe shake up, shake the dust off my feet. You know, I've done all that I, I can do. So I also respect, uh, like Isaac said, and all those who did attend, you know, for those reasons and probably more. And that seems to be what, um, you know, we're, we, the next paragraph is going to name name some names, but um, the GSFA primates and their bishops who went, it, it does seem from everything they published that the purpose was we are going here to proclaim the truth. We're going here to uphold um, Lambeth 110 and um, that that's why we're going. And so, yeah, that's that's admirable. I probably wouldn't have gone either had, had I been a purple shirt in one of those uh, th those provinces um, either. Right on. Well, uh, speaking of that next paragraph, uh, Isaac, do you want to take that one? Certainly. Archbishop Justin Body, South Sudan, and Archbishop James Wong, Indian Ocean, of GAFCON and the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans, admirably led the Orthodox cause for biblical theology and morality in the midst of a situation in which the balance of institutional power was stacked heavily against them. I commend them for differentiating themselves from the false teaching of the Canterbury Communion and for not partaking of Holy Communion 
with unrepentant bishops living in immorality. It was also helpful that they reminded the conference that we have not agreed to walk together, no matter how many times the Archbishop of Canterbury says otherwise. At the end of the conference, these Orthodox leaders in attendance provided a communique of their experience at the meeting, and for all those who care about the future of global Anglicanism, I commend it for your reading, and it is linked in his letter. Uh, the Canterbury Communion has ceased to be a place where communion can be shared and has devolved into something more akin to a federation or association of provinces with a common history and incompatible theologies and moral ethics. Um, there's a lot in this paragraph, uh, but the thing that kind of jumps out to me uh, pretty pretty immediately um, is I'm reminded that when when they did announce they would not be taking communion, um, the uh, more liberal ends of Anglican Twitter and and other other social media just exploded with accusations of weaponizing the Eucharist. How dare you weaponize the Eucharist? Um, which which just to me showed that they're not even thinking about this in doctrinal terms they're only thinking about this in political terms i mean that's that's straight up political political language whereas from the get-go um the gsfa folks were saying no th this because of this doctrinal issue and what the scriptures say about communion we can't do this um i mean it's 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 not even just talking past each other it's a completely two alien uh, sets of assumptions, two alien foundations, and, and which does lead to, to that concluding pair, uh, sentence about it's devolved into something more akin of a federation or association with incompatible theologies and moral ethics despite the common history. And there's really yeah. a setup there of, of like saying Canterbury communion, um, which is like something that I've heard said before, I've used that terminology, and I think, you know, I don't want to put words in Archbishop Foley's mouth, but it really distinguished that, okay, those in the orbit of Canterbury, this is where they're going. But we, who still profess being Anglicans and are rooted in the formularies, we're going to stick with orthodoxy. Yeah, good question there. Would you to uh, equate the Canterbury communion with worldwide Episcopalianism, which is what we've heard uh Jeffrey Shorey say in the past? You, you know, like that that's the question, you know, I don't want to read more into it than what's there, but I think the, the Archbishop is using this language for a reason and is pointing out that those who follow um, the Canterbury way, because uh, he calls out the Archbishop uh, for saying that, look, we're not walking together with you despite what you're saying. Uh, he also commends the statement from the Global South bishops, which in their long statement points out, we're not leaving, we're not the schismatics, but we're also not just going to continually play ball and, and show up and sing Kumbaya. Yeah, and I'm reminded, uh, you know, Andrew mentioned some of the interviews that uh, Ken and Phil Ashey did with uh, the, some, the various GSFA bishops and primates. Um, one of the ones that was kind of post-Lambeth, as everything was winding down, that he did with, I believe, um, Archbishop Justin Badi um, of South Sudan. I, I believe that's who the interview was with. Um, the Archbishop said something that, um, I, I, th I think Canon Phil um, asked, asked very pointedly, is this gonna be um, breaking communion with Canterbury? And he said something to the effect, the Archbishop, 
said something to the effect of, um, we intend to remain in communion with the See of Canterbury, but not necessarily the Archbishop of Canterbury. And the uh, Canon Phil and the other interviewer were like, ooh, you know, what, what does that look like? And the Archbishop just kind of left it hanging. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's, that's, you know, GSFA does not want to, to break up the Anglican communion, but there needs to be some strong things taken. And, I, they're, and they're, they're hinting at that, I think. Yeah, um, that is a curious statement indeed, uh, as well as the uh, accusation of weaponizing the Eucharist. It, it makes me think of like, um, you know, a Protestant or, or not a, pro a, a prostitute, you know, attempting to seal a deal with a married man. And if he were to deny her saying, well, you've weaponized the wedding bed. How dare you? You know, I mean, it, it really is. Um, absurd that first of all how can these people not see things the other way that to violate your conscience by um communing with someone you disagree with i mean that's a weaponization as well you know especially if you're attempting to force it on someone there, there's a common problematic i think narrative that that um really really boiled up um, in the mainline world, what we would call the mainline world here in the United States anyway, they don't call it that worldwide, but those more historic uh, Protestant denominations where any concept of closed communion is anathema, like like it's doing some sort of um, a theological or ecclesiolo ecclesiological violence to other Christians to have any form of closed communion. Um, and then that kind of gets, gets stretched out to an absurd conclusion, which says any fencing of the table is, is, um, against the gospel or it's not the way that Christians ought to behave. And, and which, which of course just completely ignores what the Bible itself says about communion. Um, you know, and I understand that, you know, again, decades ago, desire to have more intercommunion among different Protestants and, and hopefully kind of an, an ecumenism. But, um, you know, th this is, this is taking that, I would say, well-meaning desire to an absolute absurd level. Right. And, and there's a difference between an ecumenism that simply removes doctrinal standards in order to find common ground and what we maybe have seen uh, within GAFCON or um, ACNA's relationships with other churches, which we've commented on in a recent episode, which is a sort of ecumenism of the trenches, where you say, hey, we're, we don't have that same, uh, what does Archbishop Beach say? We don't have the same common history, but actually our theologies and our moral ethics are far more compatible, perhaps, than with some of these other so-called Anglicans that do share our sort of common history, as he says. Um, gosh, any anything more on that, or you guys think we should jump forward here? Yeah, right. let's jump forward. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take up the next one there. While their colonial structures are imploding, the Anglican establishment in England continues to ignore the valid concerns of those who hold to the teaching of the Bible and the historical teaching of the church. 
Through the Global Anglican Future Conference, GAPCON, and the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans, led by the power of the Holy Spirit, new courageous leaders are filling this gap with authentic community and communion, seeking to make up for the gospel deficit and the ecclesial deficit, citing the Windsor Report. We are living in a unique moment in which, by the grace of God, global Anglicanism can be genuinely reformed by biblical repentance and renewal. This will be the focus of the GAFCON 4 conference next April when we gather in, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Kigali, Rwanda. The world needs the transformation that comes from hearing and responding to an unambiguous saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I love, uh, once again, it's so well written. I, I love the, the strength of how he concludes this paragraph. The world, not just Anglican communion, the Anglican communion needs to be recommitted with biblical repentance and renewal, like he said a couple sentences before. But the world reminding us the main thing is the main thing, the gospel. The world needs a trans transformation, excuse me, that comes from hearing and responding to an unambiguous saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesse, what's your kind of initial thoughts of hearing this? Um, yeah, I, well, first of all, I thought the... Uh, so when he talks about colonial structures imploding uh, the Anglican establishment in England, I mean, that's going to like just turn the screws to like the white liberal Western heart, right? Because you want to tell them, check your privilege, right? Right, exactly. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is the language that every C of E higher up is going to say, oh, oh, no, it's it's uh, our wicked structures are have done it again. Um, so, I mean, I mean, I guess good, good for him for, uh, you know, throwing it back at them, uh, on this score, uh, beyond that, I mean, I think, uh, again, this unambiguous statement about how the unambiguous saving faith in Jesus Christ is, is what can renew. I mean, it's a very hopeful statement. He draws a line in the sand. He says, by the way, Gafgon's going to be, uh dealing with this so if the real christians want to show up to that they're welcome sort of so to speak um and and also he says hey look renewal and reform are cap are possible but you got to do it the right way you have to have the right authorities so i thought uh you know sort of a good uh as rhetoric goes it's a sort of a a, a left hook and an uppercut you know seems solid to me yeah, and as much as I, um, I, I very much enjoyed that that opening um, rhetorical left hook, as you said, the uh, yeah, the, and 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 that that I, I have been thinking that, and you know, as much as all the people saying that you're weaponizing the Eucharist, you know, do you know in your own terms, okay, then you need to check your privilege, but that's really what it's that's not really what it's about anyway, and he makes that pretty clear too. I mean, it really is about what does the word of God say? You know, are we, are we conforming to the doctrine and teachings of the Holy scripture? Um, the, 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 the leading of the Holy spirit as the scriptures reveal, <laughs> not just some, some fuzzy sort of thinking, um, putting it, putting it back where it needs to be that truth issue, not, not the, uh, not the politics of it all, but, but the truth of it all. Absolutely. Yeah, it's solid stuff. Um, Gospel deficit and ecclesiastical deficit. That's mm -hmm. some that's some great language there. It is. Well, let's uh, let's finish this letter out and and kind of have some closing thoughts here. 
Isaac, you want to go for it? Sure. Let's not hesitate in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us, teaching them what he has taught so clearly in the Bible, that they are loved by God and how to be his disciples. Please join me in praying and working for a faithful global Anglican future. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power and work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then he signs it, your brother in, Je in Christ Jesus. And of course, that last bit was a quote from um, Ephesians uh, 3, 20 and 21. Um, yeah, the, that, that last call for evangelism is pretty huge. Um, one of the things that really struck me in those interviews that uh, Ken and Ashley did um, was, frankly, how huge the uh, diocese in those in those areas are. I mean, we some of their some of those bishops, their dioceses are bigger than entire provinces in the um, what Archbishop Beach is calling the Canterbury Communion. Wow. Um, that sort of thing. Yeah, a single diocese much bigger than a whole province, a and and that that's not uncommon. And when you ask why is that. Um, the archbishops kept saying basically two things, radical hospitality and evangelism. And, and those two things going together, right? Um, and, and we're terrible at that <laughs> in, 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 in the global north and, and certainly here in America. Like, like we are bad at that. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we do need to step up our game. And again, our, our brothers in the, in the global south are, are showing us what this looks like. Yeah, I think this speaks to um, really uh, w there are so many issues in if, if you want to diagnose the problem here, there's so many issues that are sort of uh, at stake or, you know, taking place at once. And part of this is just in the West, we have such a societal decay in the form of a sort of secular modernity which for the better part of a century has attempted to move God and religion and um, basically the most important uh, reasons for living to the sidelines and privatize all these things. Um, and then if you have the wrong ideas, even privately, you know, watch out, you might lose your job. And, and so, you know, the, 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 and I don't really, you know, in a context where we're talking about colonial structures and um, massive dioceses in uh, global south uh, provinces, um, I don't mind saying that there is an oppression, there is a persecution taking place in the West um, that is perhaps, uh, from a societal perspective, you know, even something that uh, someone in a another part of the globe wouldn't really understand. I mean, why is hospitality so difficult? Well, we've had, um, you know, uh, ideologies that have eroded sort of community in our parts of the world in, in a large, you know, to a large extent. And, you know, what does that do? I mean, it, the church in the West has such a task, not only to do what you know, people used to write about, which is like, well, how do we preach the gospel? How do we have uh, Sunday meetings that people can get to, right? But but also like all of the normal civic virtues, all of the, you might say, the 
the natural graces that, um, you know, it takes a society or a civilization with health to uphold, those have all just fallen out as well. And so I think, I think the task and, you know, part of why we suck at this basically as, as a Western church is, is because the task is just huge. And, and I think, and, and if you ever, you know, and, and Father Isaac, I'm sure you've had plenty of chances, but really talking with people from uh, African countries or, or even the Middle East and other parts of the world who don't necessarily share this Western experience, so many aspects of their life are far more communal, far more relational. You might even say just humane at a basic level, even if the predominant religion where they're at isn't particularly Christian, you know, but, but, you know, their, their familial life is not eroded the way that quite frankly, a, a Disney plus, uh, civilization has had it done. Am I, am I sounding crazy? Yeah, I, I'd here, agree guys? with that. Um, like, like even, even among folks from those parts of the world who come to the United States and establish very thriving, um, Christian communities, congregations and that sort of thing. Um, it's, it's generally not through growth through, through a lot of evangelism because a lot of the stuff that works over there hasn't worked here because it's a different, different, um, soup that we're all, we're all in here. Um, you know, those, a lot of that is more about immigration than, than evangelism. Um, but but still applying the things that they that they that they do at home. It's just it doesn't always work as well among you know the the those who are here um, as it, as it does elsewhere. Um, and I I think some of those societal things you mentioned do make it a bit of an uphill battle. Um, I I know my temptation is to kind of throw up my hands then and say, well, I'll just you know, work on my sermon and, and, you know, get my chant better <laughs> so, that, so that we have a good time on Sundays, you know, and that sort of thing rather than, um, you know, and, and build up more of a fortress than a, than a, than an embassy. Yeah. And, and I think that you've hit the nail on the head there, Jesse, about, you know, we don't even know what community is, uh, here in the West, especially in the States especially when the basic fundamental unit of community, the family is just being you know, attacked and, and broken apart. And for our part here as, as Christians in the West, it's really reconstituting and remembering what it is to have just a community within the home. And I know like when I did uh, my work on my book um, about, you know, passing down the faith, you know, to our, our children of really focusing, and it's, it's nothing, amazing or new it's just really being focused on being the family on raising them in the faith on praying together reading scripture together of having patterns and disciplines and habits of holiness in order to really just establish that foundation right there with your own family and then like you said just trying to be hospitable in this day and age is so difficult just trying to get people together to share a meal you know we will feed you we will you know invite you in we will entertain you and trying to get people's schedules to uh, to collide and work together is downright impossible. And when you look at what is it that's tearing us apart, it's not typically work. You know, we're all kind of working typically, you know, about the same hours. But it's activities, it's stuff, it's things, it's all this, you know, uh, distractions uh, from the world. And we think that we're doing 
our families a service of like, you know, show the kids over there, make sure they go and, and, and take some sort of sports or music activity. And those aren't bad in of themselves, but then it becomes sadly ironic that there's no true community for, you know, groups of families. It's just, oh yeah, little Billy knows little John from soccer and then Patty knows Susie from, you know, piano lessons over here, but the parents don't even know each other or they never really pass each other except just for dropping kids off. And, um, and so in the West, we've just forgotten what it means uh, to live in a community and um, a little bit of just lamenting there. I don't have a solution for it, except that as Christians, we've got to push back in the sense of saying that, no, it's important for us not just to attend the church, but also to get to know people who are fellow believers and build out, you know, a true fellowship and not just say, yeah, we get together once in a while and, you know, we eat like a, a breakfast and we call it men's fellowship, you know, like, I mean, that's a start. That's good. I bless that. But we really need to, to work together in the West to recover what just comes natural, you know, with with many of our global South brethren who, who haven't been, you know, uh, you know, so um, uh, I don't know what the right term is. So, so modernized that life is just mm-hmm. moving on a, a level um, of like crossing cities to go and do things as a normal activity that that's not a norm you know for for so many of our global south brethren it's still like no no we're in our local community you know we're still in our hometown we know everybody and we know who's who so right yeah i i think um the task is huge and we need a sort of a generation of again leaders ministers churches that really know the score they understand the mission field outside their front door because it, it seems to me that it's not just preaching the gospel, but we have to preach just sanity or, you know, um, family and, and so much more than, uh, than even has been, you know, you can't neglect preaching the gospel obviously, but, but, but you're going to have people walking in who've never seen a functioning family ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so they, they, they need that information as well. Um, and there's plenty of voices, destructive voices out there that are happy to fill in the blanks for them. Um, and I'm glad you said, you know, fellowship amongst Christians, because I will say that what compounds this issue is that my kids make friends and very often with good, sweet hearted children in the neighborhood or elsewhere, but they're coming from like, you know, a, a world and a family life that has radically different values than ours. And, um, God yep. bless her. My, my daughter is, is actually great. <laughs> she, the first thing she finds out when she meets a new kid is like, well, are you Christian? Do you go to church? <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. I mean, it's, it, I don't even know, like, I, I've not instructed this, but she just knows <laughs> these are the high order values of our family and um, that this is an important thing. So let, let's hope that keeps going. Yeah, absolutely. And praise God. Like uh, my daughter did the same thing. She invited someone in the neighborhood. She was like, well, are you going to, you know, like vacation Bible school? And her little friend was like, no. She was like, well, you need to come with us. And she came back home and told me. And I was like, good for you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, we'll get that, you know, friend of yours plugged in. But um, awesome. you know, out of the mouth of babes. Um, I, yeah. I wanted to add one other note that when it comes to, you know, the, the nature of, of fellowship, and you made a good point of, like, the mission field, you know, is so different here in our own backyards in the West. 
Because people, quite frankly, including those who come into the church, like you said, come from broken families, don't even know what a normal family would look like, and you know, don't have that same experience. So when you talk to someone, you almost have to engage them at the level of what does it mean to be human before you can even get to, you know, like who is God and what does it mean that God became man? Uh, it's, it's wild to, to kind of see that. And uh, quite frankly, to have yourself kind of smacked in the face with, oh, whoa, I thought I was going to have to start with, you know, what is sin and walk people through. But it's like even before you get there, you got to go to what is creation? You know, what does it mean to be created? Uh, male and female, much less walk through, you know, who is God as creator, you know, what is his way, what is his will, and what is his salvation for us that brings us good news. Yeah, um, I and getting back to this uh, point that was made earlier with these Global South uh, bishops about hospitality, you know, in in what is more or less a a largely postmodern age, um, or at the sense in which very very many people, kind of whether they realize it or not, see truth as a personal thing rather than a universal, um, at least when it's convenient to right. You know, <laughs> don't never accuse people of being consistent with their ideas unless they're trained philosophers, and even then, that's almost a guarantee of the opposite, but, um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But, uh, one thing that I've thought of, and this was part of a, you know, my thesis work, um, when I was working on my master's degree is I, I see in a secular world where rhetoric of a written and sort of didactic kind only works with a certain subset of people. Right. Um, hospitality then becomes this mode in which you can take that person who, like you said, has never observed a healthy family life. And like, we all know nobody's perfect. No one's saying healthy family life equals zero conflicts, blah, blah, blah. Right. But to say the opportunity then though, is to say, Hey, maybe you think I'm nuts when it comes to uh, pol- political issues like same-sex marriage, abortion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But for whatever reason, you don't find me an utterly terrible person to be around. And, and so you're willing to come over and share a meal. That then becomes this opportunity to say, here's a space that's been cultivated around these eternal God-given principles. And to just let someone sit there and observe Right. You don't have to make an argument for why uh, gay marriage is sinful and ultimately harmful. What you can do, though, is simply demonstrate healthy male female um, relations without even talking about it. Right. And in, in the church can do the same thing when it comes to God. You know, so in that sense, I, I think, you know, Isaac nailing the chant and 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 honing in the sermon work it it really does have a place um and i've always thought like you know anglicans um have had this thing called even song in the uk which is weirdly this has become like a a front porch ministry for atheists and college students and art enthusiasts you know and, and so i do think that um if we can think of what we do as Christians, whether from the home or from the parish 
in terms of hospitality where we can kind of cultivate a place where we set the rules, right? Well, really, we're obedient by following, you know, God's given rules um, that can demonstrate truths rather than, say, explain them, then uh, I think that very, could very much be the way forward for addressing some of these issues. Because, again, you lead off with um, gay marriage. To the uninitiated, it really just seems like you're mean. You know, right. why don't you like people? Why don't you like love, right? But if you start with the opposite, like, actually, let me demonstrate the thing that we're preserving, the the truth that we're upholding, rather than getting into the weeds of why I disagree out here on the outskirts of moral, ethical issues, you know. So again, I think that hospitality is, is, is very much a way forward. Not to say that we don't, we're not prepared to give an answer for our faith or have these debates when, when someone's uh, ready for them. But, you know, in my experience as a guy who was really excited about Christian apologetics like 15 years ago, uh, I find that um, I was really training for a combatant, a partner that was very difficult to find. <laughs> the, the, the world was not full of these like, uh, you know, nerdy guys who were going to come out swinging with arguments or if they thought they were, they very soon sort of uh, back down into more emotional or experiential stuff. But I'm coming in uh... Uh, ground here. I too was loving and looking at apologetics. I remember distinctly looking at like a program that Biola uh, University had on like apologetics and talk about a, a wasted degree. Instead, I wasted my degree on poli science history. So, <laughs> but yeah, I had kindred spirits. I'm thinking like that, that'll be it. You know, I can argue my way uh, into achieving, you know, the victory that we need. And when it's something as simple as inviting people over uh into you know creative and sacred spaces from your home to even you know evening song like you pointed out that's working so well in many churches in england yeah well uh obviously we we came at this conversation uh to talk about the anglican communion but it's hard to not talk, bring these issues home isn't it um it any is. any final thoughts gentlemen before we uh sign off here well, I, uh, I'm, I'm glad Lambeth 2022 is over, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my, uh, my uh, uh, podcast and, and, and other feeds will be a, a little bit less uh, frustrating, but um, I, I'm, so, I'm so glad for both Archbishop Beach um, and uh, the other Global South leaders' faithfulness. Yeah, I would just leave one note of, of encouragement that... The fact is that uh, so many parishioners, I know some of my own have asked me about what's going on at Lambeth, and I remind them that, look, this doesn't define, you know, what is Anglicanism, much less what is the faith. Uh, we go back and our formularies direct us to Holy Scripture uh, and direct us to how we're to live and how we're to believe. And the encouragement is there's the vast majority of bishops and the other provinces who are standing firm in the faith once delivered and are, you know, fighting the good fight and pushing forward, which is exactly what you want to see uh, when it comes to, to church uh, leadership. So we need to take heart and, uh, and get back to the, the good work and the hard work that we have here in our local uh, communities and local parishes. 
Yep, very encouraging. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, dear listener, for joining us for this conversation. Uh, please go ahead and take a look at the chairman's uh, letter for yourself in the uh, show notes, and you can read the really long uh, document as well. And as always, if you have any positive responses, go ahead and uh, give us a great rating on iTunes or elsewhere. Leave a comment. We'd love that. If you have anything negative to say, uh, send all of that to Andrew underscore law. Is that right? Is that the Twitter? Eh, I'm only kidding. Uh, just start making some stuff up. And tell them to send it to me. You know where to find us now. So um, this is uh, Jesse Nigro signing off. This is God Andrew Frazier. God bless. It was the spirit of our forefathers that built that grand building. I believe that that spirit is with us still and will help us to, to rebuild it one day when we've served and suffered a while, a little longer. Build it again to the, to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Miserable Offenders is a production of the North American Anglican. Learn more at N-O-R-T-H-A-M Anglican.com.